we were talking about, thanks for taking the money. You thought I'd knock them over, didn't you? Yeah. That's smart. Uh, you know me. I thought I'm going to do that if he doesn't. I'll be chasing marbles all around the floor here afterwards if I don't. It did make me, it did remind me though, uh, as we're talking about that, talking about the marbles, um, of the Parent Q app. If, uh, if you have not, if you're a parent and you have kids, especially in our kids ministry here, um, you might take the opportunity to download the Parent Q app, uh, C-U-E, Parent Q. Um, and on that, you can upload kind of your kids a little bit of information. Uh, and then, so it's kind of built around the marbles. I didn't come up with that. I stole that from Reggie Joyner uh, and uh, his book, Losing Your Marbles. And, uh, and so uh, his, the Parent Q app, so like you can look, here's, I just pulled mine up and here's my daughter and I have 358 weeks left until she moves on to what's next with her little bit. But then also you can kind of scroll up and it gives you things to do this week. It actually coordinates with some of our kids' lessons, but you can look at things to talk about in the car in the morning and things like that. So uh, the Parent Q app, if you don't have that, uh, download that as a parent and that'll give you some tips uh, during the week to continue to reinforce what they're learning here in church. All right? Luke chapter 9. Uh, if you have your Bible, uh, flip open there. If you got your, you want to, you're on your device, click over there. If you're in the chair rack Bible, you didn't bring a Bible with you, you can look at the chair rack Bible there below you, and it'll be about page 866 in your chair rack Bible is where we are today in Luke chapter 9, picking up in verse 18, continuing on, what does it mean? to follow and be a follower of Jesus. Well, uh, Friday night, Isaac and I were driving uh, someplace. We were going out to um, western Massachusetts. Uh, I don't know how you define western Massachusetts for you. Uh, for me, anything uh, pretty much west of 495 <laughs> is western Massachusetts. In fact, anything west of 495 to me is middle America. Um, <laughs> It's flyover country. I'm not sure what goes on out there, but I don't go out there much. It looks so different. In fact, we were out there this past week, and I was like, are we still in Massachusetts? I'm like, I think so. Um, you know, it's, it's different, but we were out there driving out there. We were supposed to go to a show Friday night, but it got canceled, uh, but we had a hotel booked, because if you're going out to Western Mass, I'm booking a hotel and packing a lunch, because we're going, it's way out there. So we already had the hotel booked, and uh, so we said we'll go out, try and make a day of it. We actually went to the Big E yesterday and kind of had fun there. I'd never been out there. Uh, so we were out there, but driving out there at night, uh, you know, when you're driving someplace you've never been, you know, and it's dark because they didn't buy lights for a lot of the roads out there, and, and you come up on signs that say things like moose crossing next 19 miles. I got to be honest, I've lived in Massachusetts pretty much all my life. I didn't know we had moose crossing signs. I'd seen deer crossing signs, uh, but I thought I had to be a Maine to see moose crossing signs. Um, a little scary to think, you know, for the next 19 miles, you might hit a large animal. I don't, I don't even know, like, the purpose of that sign. Like, just be nervous for 19 miles. You might hit an animal. Uh, so I'm driving in the dark, and I'm doing what you probably would do. I'm following the blue line, right? Following the blue line. Uh, looking at my phone, following the blue line, trusting that somebody somewhere or something somewhere has satellites overhead, knows where I'm going, knows where I am, and is going to get me to my destination if I will follow the blue line. And thankfully it did, right? I didn't think it was. 
pulled off a road. It was completely dark. Looked like somebody's driveway. Uh, turned out to be the hotel we were looking for. Follow the blue line. Somebody, uh, something was, knew where I was, knew where I was going, and was able to get me there. And this is kind of like what following the Lord is, right? And that's what you should do, right? Trust God knows where you are, knows where you're trying to get to. And if you will follow the blue line, if you will follow God's direction for your life, you'll end up where he wants you to go. Uh, and hopefully where you want to go as well. And as a Christian, that's what we believe. Those two things come together. Where God wants you to go, your will and his will, those things converge and come together on that line. Uh, you got to be careful. You know, I've had times, I bet you have, where you've veered off the line, right? I mean, literally, driving, right? Last year we were, no, two years ago. We lost last year. Two years ago, <laughs> we were uh, driving to Baltimore and... Uh, I, we were going to a place we had been before, a hotel we had been before, and we were almost there. I could, it was daytime. I could see the hotel just off to the left, right there. Knew where it was. Been there before. I knew. I just got to go down there, take a left, and I'm at the hotel. And so the blue line was telling me to go a different way. And I said, I see the hotel. I know where I'm going. So I veered off the blue line. Couldn't take a left turn down where I could see the hotel had to take a right turn. Next time I saw the hotel, it was in my rearview mirror, driving away from the hotel, and had to circle around and come back. And that's sometimes what it is, right? When you verge off following the Lord the way we're supposed to follow, you end up uh, having to go way out of your way to get back to where you wanted to go. So Jesus Christians, another word for Christian is Jesus follower. Uh, that's not something that became a trendy term in the 20th century or something like that. That is very biblical. In fact, Luke is the one that uses it more than any other gospel writer. He calls them followers of Jesus or G puts, uses Jesus' words to say, come follow me. And that's what a disciple is, one who follows Jesus. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we ought to learn to follow well. So we need to make sure we're following well. So Luke chapter 9 has a number of principles on what a follower of Jesus looks like. So last week we saw that a follower of Jesus trusts in his provision and his power to walk in the kingdom of God. Uh, we talked about the basket of bread. What's your basket of bread? To remind you that God has provided for you as a follower of Jesus. And this week we're going to look at another principle of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. Picking up in Luke chapter 9 verse 18. So let's read that, uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 18. We're going to read through verse 21 to start. And here's what Luke writes. Now it happened that as he, and that's Jesus, now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah. And others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one. Let's pause there for a second. So what's going on here? Jesus, uh, there's some confusion about who Jesus is. He comes on the scene, there's some confusion about who he is. And there's even confusion among those who are calling themselves followers. And so Jesus throws the question out, who do people say I am? And they say, John the Baptist. Well, if you're not familiar with the story, who's John the Baptist? It was actually Jesus' cousin, 
uh, and he was living contemporarily in the same time as Jesus, uh, you know, and he had died just recently, actually been killed just recently by Herod the king. And, uh, and, and so some people, he said, are John the Baptist, maybe raised from the dead. Maybe you're John the Baptist, come back to life. John, and they said, well, others say you're Elijah. Well, why Elijah? Well, Elijah was an Old Testament prophet, lived hundreds of years before Jesus, but according to the scriptures, never actually suffered a physical death, was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire. And so some people say, you're Elijah, come back. But others say you're one of the Old Testament prophets that died and has risen again. And they're all wrong answers. So Jesus asked them, but who do you say I am? And Peter says, probably speaking on behalf of the group, you're the Christ of God. And here's the thing. Peter got it right. That's the right answer. I mean, that's his top answer. That's it. You're right. Move on. Double jeopardy. Whatever. Move on. You got it. And then Luke says, he commanded him and charged them to tell no one. Well, wait. What? He got it right. And everyone else says it wrong. And why don't you want us to tell them? I mean, what's going on here? What's the deal? Why does Jesus not want them to correct everyone else's wrong opinion? Why does Jesus then say, don't tell anyone this truth? Don't tell anyone this. And last week we saw in the beginning of chapter 9, Jesus sends out his disciples and says, go preach to everyone. Go proclaim the kingdom of God. Go tell them it's here. Go tell them it's near. Go, you know, go let everyone know this good news. And yet, just a few verses later, Peter says, you're the Christ. He gets it right, but he says, don't tell anyone. Why would Jesus not want his disciples to tell other people that he is the Christ? And Christ, if, if you just let me unpack that term just for a second with you, it's not Jesus' last name. Like, sometimes we, I, and I'm serious, I think sometimes we think that. He's Jesus Christ. I'm Rick Piccarello. He's Jesus Christ. Like, we think that. It's not Jesus' last name. Christ is a title. Uh, it was, it was, it's the Greek word for the Hebrew term Messiah. So a Messiah was the anointed one, the chosen one, the Savior, the one who was predicted by the prophets to come, who was going to save God's people from their sins, who was going to bring deliverance. This is who the Messiah is. This is who the Christ is. And so Peter says, that's who you are. And Jesus says, you're right, but don't tell anyone. Why? Why don't tell anyone? I think don't tell anyone because Jesus knew this, that how we follow is shaped by our understanding of who we follow. How we follow is shaped by, how you follow someone is shaped by who you think that person is and what that person would want you to do and what that person is like. Just look around. You look at followers who are acting like the person they follow they think would want them to act, right? They're, they're acting in accordance to that way. And Jesus knows that's true. But he also knew that they had what they thought about the Messiah and the Christ wrong. And that if he came out and they started telling people that he was the Christ, that it was going to 
they were going to get it all wrong. Because what they thought about when they thought of Christ and Messiah is they thought about a political figure that would deliver them from the oppression of the Roman occupying force that would set them free, that would lead a military charge, that would, that would set them free from the oppression they were experiencing, that would bring immediate victory and complete victory to them. And Jesus knew that victory was going to come, but it was going to come differently than they thought and take a lot longer than they thought to get there, at least in the way they pictured it coming. So Jesus says this in the next verse, verse 23. Look at verse 23. So Jesus says, you know, you got it right, but you don't have it all right, essentially, he's saying, because I need to tell you who the Messiah and the Christ really is or the kind of Messiah I am. He says in verse 22, saying, the Son of Man... That's a term that Jesus is using to refer to himself. It comes from the book of Daniel. And Daniel used the term son of man to refer to this Christ figure, this Messiah figure. And in fact, if you go back to our sermon series on Daniel, there's a message on that and that unpacks it. It's a real theologically rich term that I can't, I won't go into all of what it means now. But by saying that of himself, by saying the son of man, he's saying, I'm that guy. I'm the one the prophets predicted. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. So he says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So Jesus says, there's why I don't want you to tell anyone. Because no one pictures a Christ like that right now. If you tell them, no one is thinking of a Messiah that is going to suffer, be rejected, and be killed. Raised again on the third day for sure, but be suffer, be rejected, and killed. That's the kind of Messiah I am. And that's not the kind of Messiah they're expecting. And so until it happens, you need to not tell anyone because they need to understand what the Christ is really. Will there be ultimate victory? Yep, down the road, it'll come. But right now, suffering rejection, and being killed. And so he tells them not to tell anyone because this is the Messiah that I am because how you follow is determined by who you believe you're following. And if you believe you're following someone who's going to bring victory, if these Jews in this time believed someone, they were following someone who was going to bring a military victory through violence and war and fighting or whatever that might be, then they were going to take up arms and follow, and that's what they... But if they understood they were following a Messiah who would suffer, be killed and rejected, the followers are going to look different. In fact, their followers are going to look like we see them look in the book of Acts and the early church. They look very different than they would have looked if they were following a Messiah who came to bring a military victory to them as a people. So he says, yes, I'm the Christ, but I'm look, I look different than you think I would look, and my followers are going to need to look different. And here's where we get to the meat of the message, because those who follow me are going to have to look different than you think they're going to look. So then he goes on, verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, that sounds like following, right? If anyone would follow me, if anyone wants to be my follower, so hear this, if you want to call yourself a follower of Jesus, 
just as true for them as it is for you today, you and me today. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me, of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the Holy Angels. Jesus says, my followers are going to have to look different. Because they're following a suffering Messiah. They're following a rejected Messiah. They're following one who laid his life down for them. And so they're going to have to look different. Jesus is calling followers who will deny themselves, who will take up their crosses daily, who will lose themselves for his sake. These are the followers Jesus is calling. And he says, if you tell people now, if you tell them now, they're going to get it wrong. They're not going to know how they're supposed to look. They're not going to know what they're supposed to look like as followers. So wait. They need to see what a true Savior, what kind of Savior I am. Deny themselves. Take up your cross. And take up your cross, I feel like that, that term, you know, even as I'm reading it this week and thinking about it, it's lost so much of its edge with us. We've sanitized it. We have brass crosses on walls. They're on coffee mugs and hanging on the walls of your house and hanging from the mirror of your car or they're all over the place and we've lost what it would have sounded like to his disciples who during their lifetime would have walked by many crosses, not brass ones, not shiny ones, not as earrings or jewelry, but ugly, wooden, bloody crosses that were left there by the Roman forces to show what happens to someone who tries to come against or commit treason against Rome. Bodies would have been left there to hang so you can see what happens to someone who disobeys Rome. And just as on Good Friday, when we look at it, every one of those people would have been made to carry that horizontal beam to their own cross to be executed on. And so Jesus says, if you're going to be my follower, you're going to take up that beam. You're going to take up your, you're going to carry your own instrument of death and die to yourself daily. These are the followers that I'm calling. These are hard words. I mean, welcome to church if this is your first time, right? I mean, Jesus loves you. He does. This is how much he loves you, that he laid down his life for you. But it is simple to follow Jesus. It's just not easy. It is simple to come in. He's, he's done all the hard work. He's done all the work of achieving your salvation. My work and your work does not achieve our salvation. And yet following Jesus, you will experience difficulty. And Jesus wanted his followers to know that. That there'll be internal and external challenges. There'll be internal places where you'll have to deny yourself of things you want, you desire... Your flesh kind of wants and desires, but because you follow Jesus, you will deny yourself then. There'll be external pressures. 
Jesus says, if you are ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father. Why would somebody be ashamed of Jesus before men? Because he's a crucified Messiah. Why wouldn't you be ashamed of following someone who was killed on a Roman cross? Of course you're going to be tempted to be ashamed of that in that culture, in that world. You you are following the one who lost, the one who got killed. I mean, yes, he rose again, but not everyone's going to believe that. And so you're going to be tempted. Yeah, uh, my God was crucified. That's the God I follow. So internal denial, external difficulties. And Jesus says, follow me. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Lose your life. Follow me. He's saying losers are keepers. Keepers are losers. If you try and keep it, you're going to lose. If you lose it for my sake, you'll keep it. So I just want to, in the last few minutes we have together, I thought, what does it look like? I, I tried to think this week, how can I put it, what Jesus is saying, in a kind of a simple and easy way to understand for us? And I thought, you can almost understand anything in a quadrant. And I thought, if you put it in a quadrant, we can understand it and try and figure out where we fall, Right? And so I put this little quadrant together. I thought, you know, the vertical axis is the deny axis. So on the bottom two boxes, not yet, John, we're getting there. I'll walk you through it. On the vertical axis, we got allow and deny. So denial is, uh, you know, you can allow everything in your life or you can deny the top two boxes. On the horizontal axis, we have for Christ or for self, right? Because he says, for the sake of me, right? So now, John, let's go to that first slide. So the top right box so these, in the top right box, according, you know, you have a group of people there, whether maybe you know people, maybe you are in this box. Here's this box. Top right box is someone who denies, but they do it for self, for their own reasons. So there, and you might say, well, who would do that? I would say most of the people in life you know do that. Most of people live their lives this way. They are willing to deny themselves things so that they can be a better self, a better person. They're willing to deny themselves by going to the gym and exercising and spinning and lifting and and doing all kinds of things so that you can be your best body, so that you can be your best person. They're willing to deny themselves food and diet so they diet properly, so that they can be in the best shape. They are willing to deny themselves in order to be their best self. Time-wise, people are willing to deny themselves. They'll pursue education so that they can, in knowledge, have the best understanding and know themselves so they can accomplish things, so they can influence. These aren't bad things. But in this case, in this box, it's only because they want to be the best self they can be. Not for Jesus, for themselves. So I would call the goal of this box is self-actualization. This is kind of the top of Maslow's pyramid, right? Hierarchy of needs. The the highest thing is self-actualization. That you can be the best self that you can be. But this isn't what Jesus is talking about. This isn't what Jesus is talking about here. So lower right box uh, is for self. I'm not going to talk too much about this one because this one almost doesn't even need too many words. But if you're for yourself and you allow yourself everything, this is the person who just lives for today. This is the person who says, avoid pain at all cost. You know, gain as much pleasure as you can. Max out the credit cards. You know, get everything you can because all you got is this life and maybe all you got is today. So just maximize your pleasure, hedonistic lifestyle, anything that's going to give you any pain, avoid it. Doesn't matter what it causes to others. It's all about you. It's all about self. And this isn't the life that Jesus is calling you to either. 
top, uh, bottom, uh, bottom left box is this, so that one, yeah, the goal of that one's self-indulgence, self-indulgence. Bottom left box. Uh, this is the box that I want to talk about for a second, that this paradigm does not perfectly depict uh, no, 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 uh, no, no, I guess, drawing is going to be perfect, but let me just try and explain what this box is. Uh, this box is someone, instead of for Christ, maybe we'll say this, calls themselves a Christian, calls themselves a Christian, but does not deny themselves anything. This is the person who says, Christ died for me so I can live however I want. That thank God Christ died for my sins. Now I get to live however I want to live. That, I, that, that I, I'm supposed to be rich, that I'm supposed to never be sick, that I'm supposed to constantly live a good life, that, that there's nothing painful that should ever come into my life, that, that Christ died for me. Now I get to live for my pleasure on this earth, that a difficulty will never come and should never come and allows and constantly is looking to live uh, a life that is not denying, not denying yourself anything, but always, um, always uh, having anything that you want. I thought about this one, and I thought, you know, this way of looking at Jesus is kind of like, I think, the way that we sometimes look at someone who might have died in a, in a war years ago fighting for our country we would say, thank God that they gave what they needed to. They gave everything. We want to remember them. We want to never forget them. We want to have special days in the year where we would honor them. We want to write their names in places where it'll be there forever and never be forgotten. But they did that so I can live freely and do what I want today. And I'm afraid sometimes that's the way we look at Jesus. That thank God he did that so I can do what I want. That I can have everything I want and go to heaven. Isn't that a good deal? And that's not the life Jesus calls you to either. What Jesus is talking about in Luke chapter 9 is a follower. And so that one would be self-satisfaction. But this top box is the follower of Jesus who would deny ourselves and for the sake of Christ. Deny yourself, take up your cross for the sake of Christ. Jesus is saying, these are the followers that I'm calling, that you will experience difficulty. You will experience pain. You will experience suffering. Jesus did, why wouldn't you? These things are there. This box, I think the goal of this box is God glorification. And one of the ways you can kind of figure out which box you might fall in is, uh, especially those two on the left, is by answering this question. Does God exist for you or do you exist for God? And saying you exist for God, that's, that's like the core of what Jesus is saying, but it's not an easy statement for us to grasp because it means I was created for God's purposes and God's glory and not for my own. I think some of us might live our lives thinking, you know, God exists for us so I can be better, so just so, so I can have more. I mean, God exists for me. That not this great? And that's, that's not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach we have been created for God's glory, for his pleasure, now, 
in his pleasure, we gain our greatest pleasure. That's, a, that's another message for another day. But, but, you know, your will becomes his will. And when you live in accordance to how you were created, I think you'll find your greatest joy in that place. But do you exist for God or does God exist for you? And if God, we exist for God, then our goal is to deny ourselves for the sake of Christ, for God glorification. And so Jesus, in a sense, is saying, forsake yourself for the sake of Christ. That's, the, that's what followers, followers of Jesus forsake themselves, their own desires, their own natural desires for the sake of Christ. These are the type of followers he's calling. And so I think one of the things that, one of the mistakes we make sometimes is we hear Jesus calling us to suffer, and because we're Christians and because we're followers of Jesus, we sometimes think that any suffering we experience then is because we are Christians and we are followers of Jesus. And so I want to be careful and, and remember that horizontal axis, that it, it is for the sake of Christ. So when you hit your thumb with a hammer, you're not suffering for Jesus. You're a bad carpenter, maybe, but you're not suffering for Jesus. Now, when you hit your thumb with a hammer and you withhold a string of expletives that want to come out of your mouth at the moment, for the sake of the fact that you are a follower of Jesus and cursing should not come out of your mouth, then we are denying ourselves for the sake of Christ. It's a difference, right? Just, uh, just because you suffer doesn't mean you're suffering for Christ. Just because you're denying yourself doesn't mean you're denying yourself for Christ. We saw that top right square. You can deny yourself and it not be for the sake of Christ. So because you didn't get into the college of your choice doesn't mean you're suffering for Jesus. You may just not have gotten good enough grades, or there were too many people that applied, or there were whatever. It doesn't mean. But if you maybe got into a school and said, I can't go to that school because of what they're particularly asking me to agree to or to sign on to or to support, and it doesn't line up with my convictions as a Christian following Christ, and so I am going to not go someplace I would go. I'm going to deny myself that privilege and that opportunity. Then it moves into the category of denying myself for the sake of Christ. Just because you can't afford that next toy that you want or that next, you know, that next luxury item you want does not mean you are suffering for Jesus because your friend drives a nicer car or has a nicer house and they have this and I don't have that, so I'm suffering for Jesus. No, but if you have voluntarily chosen to live below the means that God has given you, maybe you are chosen to support this missionary, this person, this ministry, and so that you cannot afford to buy that new toy or that new car or that because you have put yourself in a position where you have prioritized the purposes of God in your life, then you are denying yourself for the sake of Christ. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said a Christian should always have things in their life that they want and could have but choose not to have because of the decisions they've made to follow Christ and the priorities they've placed in their life because of Christ. 
And so where in your life is God, Christ calling you to deny? As our worship team comes back, I want you to consider that question. Because if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, and I call myself a follower of Jesus, there ought to be places in my life like that. Here's a couple questions for us to consider. Are you choosing you or are you choosing him? That question, who does God, who, does God exist for you or do you exist for him? Or this one, are we tricking ourselves into believing that we're following Jesus when there's no denial or cross-carrying or following or losing your life? Because Jesus didn't, I mean, if we're going to be honest here, Jesus didn't say this might happen. He says, it's, it's, it's a requirement of my followers that they are going to deny themselves, that they are going to take up their crosses. They're going to follow me. So are we tricking ourselves into believing that we're following Jesus when we're really following ourselves, when we're really elevating ourselves, when we're really living for ourselves, Or are there places in our lives that we could point to where we have intentionally denied ourselves for the sake of Christ? But I won't have that. I won't go there. I won't say that. I won't get into this relationship or that relationship. The world would say you could. The world would say you should. The world would say, go get it. It's yours. Don't deny yourself. But you say, no, because I follow Jesus, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to deny myself that want. I'm going to deny myself that desire. I'm going to deny myself that fleshly pleasure that my flesh desires for the sake of Christ. And why? because we're some masochistic group that, 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 that takes pleasure in pain? No, because Jesus said, losers are keepers and keepers are losers. Because Jesus said, if you will lose your life for my sake, you will save it. In other words, you will have eternal life and have life to the full. You'll have life like you couldn't even imagine life. You'll have life that is unending. You'll have life with me. You'll have life with, with, a, with this God who is with you and loves you and watches over you and walks with you. You'll have life with the king. Jesus says, if you will lose your life for my sake, you will have your life saved. You will find life. But this is the following he calls you to. Deny myself. Well, I don't want to live that way. Jesus calls his followers to deny themselves. But I want that. But I... Jesus calls himself to deny themselves. There's places in your life where even now, I believe the Holy Spirit is making it clear that you have not been denying yourself. You've been allowing yourself something that God has told you that's not for you. That maybe God has made clear in his word that that is not a way a Christian lives and walks. And Jesus is saying, my followers will deny themselves for my sake. There will be places in your life where Jesus is saying, you've been ashamed of me there, but I want you to be willing to lose your life. I want you to be willing to lose your reputation. I want you to be willing to stand with me and I will stand with you. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Jesus is saying you're going to do one of two things. You're going to deny yourself or you're going to forfeit yourself. I just want you to be clear that you've got the price tags in the right place of what's really valuable. 
that you're not putting a high price on something that in the scheme of eternity isn't really going to be worth much and putting too low a price on what Jesus offers. Let's pray. Would you stand with me? Just before I pray and as I pray, let me read this final scripture of Paul who had everything going for him, who had everything that anyone would have wanted in his day, the right education, the right upbringing, everything. And Paul in Philippians says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. That's how Paul says it. That's how Jesus said it, deny yourself and follow me. Missionary Jim Elliott, who gave his life in bringing the gospel to the Aka Indians, said it this way, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word, even though it's a hard word today. Forgive us, Lord, for sanitizing the cross and taking the edge off what it means at times to take up our cross and follow you. Help us to understand that in a greater way. We call ourselves Christians. We call ourselves followers. Lord, you said followers will deny themselves, take up their cross, lose ourselves and follow you. Let it be true of us, Lord. Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room, Lord, who is today sacrificing, Lord, what you offer for in eternity for the sake of a temporary gain, Lord, that today would be the day that they would decide to give their life to you. Even in a hard message like this, that today would be the day they would decide they're going to follow Jesus, even though it means suffering, denial, giving up their own life. But what they gain and what we gain is something we could never purchase of ourselves, something we can never attain for ourselves, full, eternal life with you. So, Lord, as we consider the cost, may you remind us of your goodness to us. Lord, as we worship now, may your Holy Spirit continue your work in our heart and in our spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing this song of worship together. <laughs>